Hello, everybody. Welcome to Sonic Talk, episode 585, recording today on Wednesday the... What is it? It's the 31st of July. So, uh, yeah, heading into full-on summer here. We have had a bit of that, but it doesn't always feel like it in this country. But that's so British of us to talk about the weather, as as, as uh, my first guest was uh, mentioning on the uh, in the preamble to the show. Uh, this is the... Uh, it's not a, to- a podcast about weather. This is the music co- technology podcast to do all things to do with music technology, so synthesis software, um, all the sort of industry surrounding it, uh, controllers, electronic music, music production, uh, live music production, all of those things too. So uh, sit back, uh, probably about an hour. I want to say if you're also, if you're interested in winning Isotope's fantastic Neutron 3 mixing plugin, uh, then stay tuned because there's a competition about halfway through the show or somewhere between now and the end. So you'll just have to stay tuned. Right, uh, let's uh, say hello to our first guest. We got two of them, two for the price of one. We got a twofer going on there. Uh, that's Mr. Rich Hilton there on the right. Uh, as you will know from Sheik, he's actually on the road with uh, Sheik at the moment. Uh, and I guess this must be an afternoon off. Uh, on the left here, we have Mr. Kent Spong, who you may remember uh, we did a podcast with because he was the uh, the first person to contribute the Sonic Talk theme show, which was the, uh, was it using Votox and the kind of choir, symphonic choirs plugins, Kent? I can't remember now the exact details. Oh, and it's go- and the- he's gone. Ah, uh, ah. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, oh I think we're having a bit of yeah. There seems yeah, to be a bit of bit of video bandwidth issues. All right, I, I, maybe you guys can have a look at that because I can see you nodding and smiling. So that's a good start. Uh, let's say hello to uh, maybe the thing to do, chaps, is uh, just try and reconnect and see if that gets us a little bit better. You just come straight back in and you'll be back in, back in the room, as it were, uh, which was, in fact, the title of last week's show. How about that for a bit of continuity? Uh, we have Mr. Gaz Williams as well, who's looking very... Uh, um, very well in his uh, video studio, but projection. I see you got a video light above you, and the sun's shining in. Uh, how are you, Gaz? You well? Yeah, good, thank you. I am making a lot more content from here, but it's boiling hot at the moment. So, oh uh, yeah, it's been. Uh, and also, like, because I work in the attic, when it, when when the hail. I mean, God, we had like really manic hail storm, didn't we? Um, mm. You know. <laughs> It's like deafening in here. So, um, but yeah, I'm I'm making a load of cool stuff at the moment. So watch out for that because uh, it's a lot of fun. I got some new kit that allows me to make more filming uh, oh. from in this studio. So it's going to be some stuff for Sonic coming from here and some, Hooray. Uh, some Bobs. Hooray! <laughs> Hooray! Well, and, so, and uh, yeah, no, yeah. excellent. And look, don't forget, um, Gaz. Uh, we posted Gaz's interview with Dave Smith yesterday Ooh. from Superbooth, which is really good. That's a great yes. interview. Yes, and it's the first of a three-part series. So we won't say who's coming in the next episodes, but there's three in this Meet the Makers Extra series. Which what we try to do with this one, just to differentiate it from the ones that Nick's done already, is focus maybe um, less on the actual equipment and a little bit maybe more on influences and. Um, sort of underlying philosophies and things like that. So so this interview with Dave is really nice because it's actually talking about music and his music taste and his musical inspirations. Um, you know, there's a little bit of gear talk, but it's mostly sort of, uh, mostly about kind of music, funnily enough. So, yeah, it's brilliant. But what an honour. What, and what a lovely, lovely job. Oh, yeah, one of the well. nicest, one of the nicest chaps. Yeah, one of the many, cool. one of the many nice chaps that there are in the music business. Uh, we're we're going to... right. Yeah, well, so we're yeah. and 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 women as well, of course. That's not, to, but uh, sadly, oh, okay, there's yeah. just yeah. anyway. Um, uh, uh, 
Studio Two, come in, please. Have we got you now? Hi there. Hey. How are we doing? Yeah, that's a little better. Um, so yes, okay. Kent. Sorry, I asked you a question about because you did the first um, the first theme tune, the first external theme yeah. tune. That was yes. that was that symphonic yeah. choirs. No, um, yeah, it was using yeah. the word builder. Ah, yeah. that's right. I remember dot com. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, excellent. Classic. Kent, of course, um, as you can see, there's the corner of a mini Moog in the, above Rich's uh, left shoulder there, uh, Kent is is the, one of the master synth um, restorers, fixers that there is in the country. We're very lucky to have him. I'm surprised you've got the time because there's very little time to... Uh, you must be busy because these things take time, right, Kent? Uh, yeah, no, I'm not doing so much restoration these days. It's mostly just straightforward repairing. Right, okay. Which is quicker. Ah, so you're quicker. whipping through them. Mm. Excellent. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Uh, right. Let me uh, let me get on to let's see where we are this week. Uh, again, it's it's kind of, you know, it's the summer season. There seems to be a lot of uh, mergers and acquisitions and whatnot this week. Um, but first of all, let's uh, let's take a look. Actually, the one of the first things which is fast. I, I, I don't know if you know, uh, Reverb.com been making massive inroads into a sort of specialized uh, musical instrument marketplace. We, we've done deals with them in the past. They've sponsored various bits of content. We've had advertising from them and whatnot. But they just sold out to Etsy. Uh, Etsy bought them for $275 million in cash, which is kind of quite, quite a mind-blowing thing. And we're just wondering what this might mean in terms of, um, in terms of what's happening, because obviously the, it means the, se the second-hand market is actually pretty buoyant if it supports that kind of thing, which is an interesting concept. I would just wonder, there's, there's a great piece on uh, CDM Link, which is uh, uh, by Peter Kerr, which is uh, Etsy by Reed, a signaling used music gear market. And it's just an interest, there's some interesting analysis about what that might mean for, uh, you know, where where people are going to for their new gear. And I, I mean, certainly in the non-musical instrument world, I'm seeing there's loads of people sort of buying stuff at car boot sales and second-hand stores. In fact, my, uh, my partner went to uh, a car boot sale on Sunday and bought me a Pierre Cardin suit, which actually fits for five pounds. So there we, I've now I've now got a Pierre Cardin suit, which can replace my uh, my normal linen wear. But I mean, as a sort of wider rule, it's just a generally interesting about how maybe people are more uh, prepared to be buying a used equipment, and this is a kind of signaler, I suppose. So maybe uh, you two guys would probably be ideal place because uh, Kent, obviously, you're working with a lot of used gear. I mean, are you is, is some of the stuff? you fixing things for people who've bought it and then want it restored, not restored, but fixed so it works, or people who have got something they want to sell and they're fixing it so they can sell it. I mean, are you finding there's an up, upturn in the just a general exchange of said goods? Yeah, I mean, probably from both sides, actually, whether it's get, get it done to sell or they've just bought it and it's not quite as good as they hoped. So, um, yeah, there's a lot, it's a lot of movement. And you know, as you go from trends to trends, so one day I, you know, one week I'll have maybe six or seven Arp Odysseys coming all of a sudden to go out for sale or CS80s or Jupiter 8s. Mind you, Jupiter 8s all the time, to be honest. Wow, okay. So, yeah, so it does kind of. You that's know, the sort of top end. Lot. I guess that's the top end of the market. And I guess you know, if you've got something like that, you're really going to want it. Sorry, Rich. I know you wanted to come in there. I could see you were ready to. Jump well, no, in. you asked. You asked earlier, what does it mean? And I thought, well, it means that the original owners of Reverb.com just bought a really, really nice boat. But yeah. 
But um, in addition to that, um, we all know brick and mortar has been driven by the special instrument businesses are, you might have a store still left, but this isn't as fierce as it was 20 or 25 years ago. Where, uh, now, where, I don't have any statistical system. No, I, Rich, I'm so sorry. You're back. Uh, that that was kind of fairly garbled. There's a lot of break up there. I don't know if there's a possibility. You're, are you on wired or uh, wireless internet? I didn't know whether there's, if it's if it can be wired, uh, yeah. it would. Oh, okay. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, so uh, I give it another shot. Give it another shot. Yeah. Um. With the diminishing diminishing retail activity that's taking place in general in the culture in terms of vis-a-vis -vis Amazon and other online uh, sales item uh, outlets. And also in the music business, um, it's not surprising to me that uh, used stuff is being traded more freely. Uh, it's, it probably started over at eBay, but now Reverb is a major, major player in this world. And uh, I'm not surprised by any of this, actually. And uh, it's impressive. I'd like to go on that boat. Yeah, well, I mean, to, uh, that, I mean, it's not all uh, it's not all theirs because they've got they've they've got funding from various kind of actually a lot of the people who who, who contributed to the investment are not just VCs. There's uh, people like uh, Rick Nielsen, uh, uh, Dave, Cr yeah, uh, from various bad, um, David Larry of Cracker and Camper Van Beethoven, and Silly, you know. So there's a, a spread. So there are people who are. In, which is always nice to see people who understand the industry that they're investing in investing rather than just being straight, I can make some money here. I'm sure that's probably a prime motivator as well, but at well, least... At I least. wonder if Nielsen has a few guitars for sale. <laughs> he apparently has a huge and impressive collection of very, very unique and original guitars. So, you know, that were custom made for him. A lot of them are hammers with like one pickup and one knob and they're all in plaid and stuff. And he's got all these really, really unique guitars. Right, do you think he gets? I, I he probably gets a. Re do you think he gets an owner's discount, trading discount, so he <laughs> sellers' fees reduced? No, and he probably doesn't need to buy the company to sell them on there. But still, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I think he's really just interested in gear. He's a he's a fan. He's a, he's a player and a fan, like most of the guys who play, actually. But that's kind of encouraging. I th I think that's encouraging, though, isn't it? That that, that there is some act. You know, there, there's some int. Some investors with an inside knowledge. I mean, in the in the industry, I know, Gaz. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, for for us, uh, certainly, you know. I mean, imagine, you know, you've been doing this video stuff, so therefore you kind of bought things. You know, you could have waited to find some lights on ha at second hand, but it's like shit. I really need this tomorrow, so you would use Amazon or one of the other retailers. So, but the second hand stuff is more of a waiter's market, or if you're lucky enough to get an eBay deal where the shipping is really fast. But it's it, it's an interesting idea, isn't it? I mean, do you buy and sell much used gear? terrible at selling stuff i'm just terrible for it a really hoarder hoarder really but um uh yeah but buy stuff all the time um yeah etsy sort of feels like it's um you know the the sort of real winners of the internet over the years like amazon and ebay and google or whatever it feels like etsy are, are have just really got that thing that model right you know i mean they've been doing you know because uh you know etsy typically is your, your makers is like a specific place for people to set up their own shops to sell their own um creative goods you know lots of um, you know, illustrators or or people who make jewelry that sort of thing and crafts and stuff yeah 
crafts and stuff and they've just kind of got it right they, you know, they've really kind of got it right and and subsequently can become very very successful in fact they've been have they have etsy uh, events like they've had some here in bristol as well where you know local makers or you know it's just a just as essentially just like a market that that they're hosting but so they're even you know they're getting a cut of like local market stall things as well as their internet stuff so they're very very smart company there who who've clearly you know seen that market and so for them to want to acquire reverb makes absolute sense i was really surprised when i heard it but when i thought about it i thought yeah well mm, this now uh i i can see reverb becoming um a lot more successful with etsy's kind of um parent parenting or whatever you'd call it um I, you know the idea of people having more um you know like a more personalized shops which is essentially just like a, a skin for a um a, a reverb uh, shop in the background and yeah you know uh, things i'm thinking about like how i've seen how i've seen etsy stuff um uh, uh displayed you know I, I can imagine you know so Eurorack shops for instance all done really nicely maybe even some vr so you can walk around and look at things in 3d and you know some clever stuff uh, but it also the second hand thing also does kind of connect with um you know something that's really picking up pace within the, certainly the the western world which is this uh fixing things and yeah reuse i mean ec ecologically it's it's good news hopefully yeah. as well oh I, yeah i mean that's really big in sweden now isn't it the sort of repair the repair kind of idea and repairing things that were designed for one use so you know built in obsolescence repairing things just sort of trying mm. to reverse this idea of disposable goods um, it's, it's the other thing that's really interesting is uh, the, the point made in uh, peter kern's article is you know perhaps that the, the rise of the second-hand market actually could reflect poorly on certain market sectors uh, this sounds very businessy but i mean like for instance uh, uh, boutique uh eurac modular makers you know once you sort of need lots of new customers to kind of keep replenishing that, you know, to be buying new stuff so that people can keep developing. So if it if it starts being set, sold secondhand and people, the, the new users are buying secondhand stuff, then the kind of the trajectory of new people coming in might actually slow down. So you end up with an overall smaller, you know, the, the size of the market sh shrinks, but the, the reuse and the regurgitation of that stuff in the market um becomes more useful which is great but then you know I, I suppose in some ways you know that what that's what led to the idea of planned obsolescence in the 1920s and 1930s because people go well we need to make more stuff so we need to make stuff that doesn't last as long so therefore yeah. you know therefore and i wonder if you know i mean that's going to be a very tricky situation to be put in because i assume that you know you can't get away with that sort of behavior anymore so it's an interesting shape to the whole thing but you know fascinating i know oh rich you're headphoneless yeah, I decided to give it a go. I can hear the speakers fine. Ah, okay. um, I'm wondering, is there any talk? I didn't read the article, I confess. Uh, but is there any talk that they're going to go with brick and mortar stores, Reverb.com, that they're going to convert to an actual active retail organization? I don't think so. I mean, I think the, the thing about Etsy is they've kind of taken that notion of little boutique shops that you would find on Melrose and places like that and made them into on, online entities and given them the right. the vibe. I mean, in some ways, it's very similar to that. Uh, and um, uh, oh, what's the 
ba uh, Bandcamp. You know, it's a similar sort of concept, makes it very easy to sell things, encourages people to get into that whole thing. I mean, I imagine, you know, what would you'd end up with situations like that is if they were they were smart, if they're bit, I don't know how many users Etsy's got and how many users Reverb have got, lots and lots, but you can imagine people then maybe going to uh, going to a local market and setting up a stall and selling stuff directly to the punters, but what they're being provided with is the back end, so like a card reader and the kind of financial stuff uh, that, that Etsy and Reverb could could combine, the, the weight of that. I mean, so maybe there will be bricks and mortar out of it, but perhaps not by them specifically. Does that make sense? So, so Etsy is normally a marketing company for smaller businesses that have a product. Yeah. Whereas, if I understand correctly, Reverb.com is a marketplace, not not a product. Yeah, that's right. Is that a fair, is that a fair yeah. assessment? So this is not a typical business foray for Etsy. This is sort of a new area for them. Is that correct? I think so. Well, I think so, because, I mean, you get the same thing with Reverb. Reverb, people sell lots of used kit, but also you have right. sort of micro shops on Reverb where people are actually, you know, buying stock of, I don't know, say, mini, mini logs or Volkers and have, selling them in retail, you know. I have myself purchased... Uh, a guitar from somebody who had it on listed on Reverb.com. It was a brand new, brand new product. So I understand that they also do business in, in new and used products, but it is in itself a marketplace, which is an interesting business venture for this company Etsy. I think it's very interesting. Anyway, don't mean to belabor it. Yeah. Well, anyway, I mean, that was, I just thought it was an, it, it might have been a, a, a conversation spinner for kind of the way things are going. But maybe, you know, maybe, maybe not. Anyway, let's get on to um, some product. This uh, this is shipping. This is the DSP APB 16. And this is a, a really fine sounding soundtrack, I must say. Uh, this, we covered this very briefly from NAM, which we saw it, but we didn't get a piece with it. It's basically a rack of analog circuitry that could be configured on the fly via software and D to A and A to D internally that then goes back over Thunderbolt. So you could build compressors, mic preamps, EQs, I think. I'm not sure. It's, it, so we'll play the whole thing so it explains itself. 32-bit I.O., which is pretty, uh, that should give you enough resolution. Lots of compressors. But apparently they're only the beginning. So the idea is, really, you take the, you know, you, you, you plug this into your MacBook Pro, and it, it, rather than it being a DSP uh, um, farm where you like, like Universal Audio, where you basically you know host these plugins, these are configured from actual electronics, analog electronics from within that analog farm. There are 16 channels. I think it's 16 I/O. I don't know all that much about it aside from because there's there's little information about whether how, how many instances of A, B, or C you could run per channel. Or I'm not maybe you know a little bit better, Rich, because I know you are uh, a fan of uh, McDSP stuff, so you might have had the had more information come your way. I don't. I, I'll admit that I know these people and like them. So uh, disclaimer, straight up front. But I don't know the answer to the question of whether it's running 16 compressors or whether it's running 16 full signal paths. I don't know the answer to that. Um, it would be nice if it ran 16 full signal paths. But it's, I think, an absolutely revolutionary, bold, groundbreaking, nobody's ever done this before product. 
Yeah. And when you look at it on the basis of, let's say it is just 16 compressors, 16 of the world's greatest compressors in analog circuitry with all that conversion, et cetera, et cetera. What is that? $500? Uh, what is, I, I don't know. It's not, it's not yeah, a it's tremendous a amount. It's on a per channel basis. If you were buying LA2As or LA3As or, you know, whatever's actual hardware driven stuff, it would cost you a bunch of thousands of dollars each. Yeah. That's so it's true. not yeah. out of line and it takes one rack space and it's controllable from your software and it supposedly sounds great and will live in your sessions. So I think it's an absolutely groundbreaking, revolutionary, exciting product. Do I have eight grand to spend on one right now? No. But uh, somebody does, and I hope he's very successful in it because I really like those guys. Yeah, they are good, and that we've we've been doing. Colin McDowell is a is, is a legendary. Uh, whenever we shoot some videos yeah. with him, he's he's like the he's like a coffee monster. He gets really hyped for his videos, and he really delivers kind of incredibly sort of high energy stuff. But yeah, it's about seven grand. I mean, it's not. I think is it seven six nine nine. I think it is six nine nine US dollars. That's probably plus tax, so that yeah. would probably end up. But yeah, it's a really interesting idea, and the concept of it being able to to, to work. It works in the box but out of the box so it gets converted but using the 32-bit a to d d2a's in and out over the single wire so that's the interesting idea and the, and the i mean yes if you think i mean even if you bought say those uh behringer clark technic whatever they are you know they're like 300 bucks each 16 of those would be five grand and that's nothing compared to what's going on inside this box you know and plus all the extra config configurability and a much higher quality signal path so i mean what you're getting there for value for money you know when you break it down it's yes it sounds like a big chunk of change in one go but you know it's not for me obviously because i wouldn't need it but well it is less than 500 dollars per channel yeah and um in colin's video uh, in which he demonstrates the thing which i did watch today he actually runs something into distortion so you could hear it breaking up in analog and shows that it does not leave the digital domain as distorted, that all of the distortion is taking place in his analog circuitry and it's nice and soft and even harmonic-y and just like you expect analog distortion to be. So he's, he's like pegging the output of some compressor in, in one channel and it sounded it sounded. I wonder, nice, I, I wonder if it, it's kind of like a massive analog FPGA. Kent, does that make sense to you if I say those words? Yeah, it does in, in a way. I mean, I'm not entirely sure about the whole engineering behind it, but it's kind of like taking like the UAD idea and then going to the next level. So instead of modelling the effects, you can now have them actually in their original, as it were, physical um, representation. And by being able to like, bring that backwards and forwards from the computer over 16 channels is incredible. It is, I and mean, I guess, the, yeah. The, yeah, I mean, the processing that must be going on, um, you know, second by second from, from the units is, yeah, it's going to be really, really fast. It's a really brilliant idea. Yeah. I know, Gaz, you like the sound of this? I mean, it's sort of like, you know, you, you see those studios with people have sort of BCM10s or whatever, you know, they've got the 16, nice 16 analog channels. And, and this is sort of the concept, the similar, although you still need IO, you still got to get it in and out. So I don't know how, I don't know what the round trip is in terms of latency for real time stuff. That would be interesting. Oh, yeah. Do we, do we know? Is it 
I, I wasn't assuming it was going to be used for real time. I was thinking of it entirely as a kind of mixed thing, but it what well, is fascinating. We don't know that, do we? Or no, we don't. With Thunderbolt, it, I guess it's. I guess there's no reason why it shouldn't be. It should be pretty quick, I guess. But um, but it's interesting because there have been, you know, over the years, the different attempts to do something uh, like this. Nothing has been. Nothing is like exactly like this but um you know you can think um things like the uh the uad stuff the um and of course the ill-fated um tc electronic um power core platform of course all of these were digital platforms but using external boxes this being analog processing the only thing i can think i can compare it to i guess is the electron analog drive which is just a stereo channel um now of course the thing about this as well being analog means that you track you, when you when you print your tracks or whatever everything is going to be done in real time and that could put some people off because you know when uh, you yeah, your so the bounce, so yes you, i see what you mean you, yeah you, you know just that is going to add uh, at the end of a day or whatever a certain amount of extra time um so for the you know and that's for the analog obviously to, ha to for that analog thing i wondered about doing it at different sample rates and then just to see if you could get it quicker, <laughs> the processing, uh, and see what it sounds like when you put the sample rate back. But um, but I think, I mean, the fact is it's just a, a box with no controls on it at all. It does kind of do that thing, though, which is a little bit of a shame, which is takes away the one of the advantages of hardware, which is the uh, the, the physical interaction with it, you know, which is which I think goes a long way for um, when you're using analog gear because you can be constantly tweaking it. And uh, I mean, so this obviously it, it isn't the full analog experience. This is just the full analog sound experience, but, uh, but the full interaction oh, experience is, you know, because I think that's what happens though. when you've got the controls, you are more likely to push it in, into... It, you know drive it a bit harder i think i don't know i might be wrong about this then maybe you know when you're on the mouse or the trackpad you might be a li little bit less kind of <laughs> but anyway but i think it still looks fantastic and i think they'll do very well because it looks like something that's almost been you know uad are heading that way aren't they with yeah, the, well, the unison stuff yeah that's right yeah so um but this is, yeah, well, well done to them getting this out. Excellent. I hope now that the, a cheaper version could come out as well. <laughs> four yeah, channels, I, you know, or, or even four, a two-channel yeah. one would be interesting. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm sure, you know, they must have had to invest in, I mean, a small, you know, DSP, a big name, as often the case, they're probably not a, like a multi-billion dollar company. They're going to be some small guys who probably need to just sort of suss out what what they can invest in in a platform like this and then yeah. where they can go with it and see how it uh, yeah, yeah. how it would work. Um, <clears throat> but I think, me. yeah, I think a little two-channel one, though, could be good if, for, if they're listening, that just for the market as well, because I think they'd probably sell loads of them. Yeah, well, the uh, speculation seems to be it could be a combination of analog componentry and the FPGA, which, as we know, is a kind of it, it's a programmable uh, set of paths. So, in fact, you, if you get the components right, you can then route the part, the analog components in directions that uh, in, in different configurations. So maybe it's that. But it would be interesting to find out. It's, there's, there's not a great massive amount of information on it. But I'm guessing because it's something so new that perhaps, you know, you're probably keeping it fairly close to close to close to home at the moment um yes uh, let's let's just take a quick break and uh, and um let's have a word from our friends over at isotope presenting neutron 3 the modern way to mix bring your workflow into the 21st century with eight modern mixing tools 
all at your fingertips in one Mothership plug-in. Starting a mix can take a while, but with the all-new Mix Assistant, Neutron can listen to your audio and quickly suggest a custom starting point for an individual track or set levels for your entire mix. Shape sounds like never before with the new Sculptor module. Match audio to a target sonic profile and instantly sculpt it to sound more like itself or like something else completely. Reach out and touch your audio with Neutron's immersive controls and visualizations. Neutron 3 comes equipped with Visual Mixer, a tool to help you effortlessly manipulate the landscape of your mix. Neutron 3, the modern way to mix. And of course, you can always download that uh, uh, free to, well, it's free to air, the demo version. Uh, you just go to uh, isotope.com, check it out, and get the download. I think you have to register for an account. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, but, yeah, Neutron 3, the modern way to mix. And we have a competition winner from last week. In fact, uh, it's somebody called John Holstein, who I recognise from, who does very, very wordy uh, comments on uh, Sonic State. Uh, obviously thinks a lot. A very smart guy by the sounds of him. Anyway, I'm so glad that, it got, that you got picked this week. Uh, so, John Holstein, John underscore Holstein, uh, if you get in touch, we will... Uh, uh, we will get you your copy of uh, Neutron 3. And, of course, uh, we've also got a competition for this uh, episode as well. Uh, we're looking for uh, the hashtag SetUpTheMix, which is one word, SetUpTheMix, and the hashtag Neutron3 to at SonicState and at Isotopic. That's on Twitter. That's the hashtag SetUpTheMix and the hashtag Neutron3 to at SonicState and at Isotope3. And don't forget, it's actually Neutron3 Advanced you get, not just the standard version. So you get a lot of prize for your cash there. Um, so, yes. Well, thank them very much for their uh, continual um, support of the show. So uh, here we go. This is a good heartwarming story. Gibson returns mm. Tomo behind trademark and brand to Tomo behind. This hey. is, uh, we've seen this around a couple of places. Uh, Gibson is president and CEO James C. Churley. Uh, have basically given back Oberheim brand and intellectual property. I'm not entirely sure what, what that mm. pertains to at the moment because I don't know what they owned. Uh, and basically as a... It just said, let's do the right thing and giving it back to the hands of Tom Oberheim, which I think is a great gesture. It's a shame it couldn't have happened earlier, but who knows what goes on inside the company for these sort of things to happen. But it's kind of a nice mm. story because uh, Yamaha did the same with Dave Smith as well, which is it's just, isn't it nice? Because Tom's, Tom's a, you know, he's, he's getting on in years now. He's an old, old elderly, I wouldn't say old, I was an older, elder, older, elder, elder statesman of electronic music, shall oh, we say. elder statesman. Elder yeah. statesman, that sounds much better, doesn't it? Yeah, what a great mm. story though. Ah, oh, amazing story, and and it's such a brilliant name, though Oberheim, isn't it? I mean, I, has there ever been any other famous Oberheims? People called Oberheim. It seems like it's almost like it's the name is so synonymous with awesome synths. It's like almost it's, it's out of the realm of being a normal name. It's, it's like Hoover, isn't Roland, it? yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> almost Moog, and it's almost like it's like play the Moog, play the Oberheim. There's a similar sort Oberheim, of Oberheim, Oberheim, Oberheim. It's like almost got an arpeggiator in its name, isn't it? It's lovely, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, Roland Oberheim. I'd like him to write into us, please. Just um, if if he exists. Yeah, uh, I don't but know yeah. Where... Wow. Just just a brilliant story, really. Because I mean, this is the new Gibson now, isn't it? Who have um, taken over the brand? Yeah. Uh, I mean. 
and so it's quite interesting because the other some of the things that they've been doing um they were one of the things was they were taking dean uh, the guitar maker dean to court over um copyright infringements but these sort of of dean have been making them since the 70s these ones which are you know there's like ones a bit like a flying v one like a bit like an explorer and uh and that seemed like a really aggressive move uh copyright move from this new gibson so See, we're really nice after all. We're nice guys. Right, 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 well. right. So I was like, well, I was quite pleased because I was thinking, oh dear, what's going to happen next? But this, I didn't see this coming. So yeah, so thumbs up. That is a good move. And um, Tom Oberheim, you know, we salute you. One of the great, one of the absolute genius, amazing creators. We're so thankful for. Yeah, so him have, having his name back, you know, especially with it actually being his name as well, is uh, is a terrific story. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I wonder, I don't know. I mean, Oberheim's massive in America. You know, that, that's the sort of the classic synth. Uh, looks like we've got a freeze there, so I'm not sure we're going to get any, uh, any joy from those guys. Uh, we're not having a good tech day today, are we? That's a bit of a shame. Mm. That, that, Except that, I, that I, still looks like it's a kind of <laughs> reaching towards the browser. Yeah, you're having a good, you look uh -huh. great. Your, your camera looks great. Yes. So this is this is an improvement. So that, so it's swings and roundabouts. Mm. Oh well. Um, maybe they'll ring ring back in. I yeah. Guess. Well, we'll have to uh, we'll have to wait and see, won't we? I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a. I think the thing is with this is it, it, it seems like a really nice move, but you're very right. You know, a lot of these larger mm. brands, particularly well-established ones with Gibson, they sort of lost their way a little oh. bit and diversified enormously Ye and bought all of that copyright Ye and sat on it, and everybody they became the bad guy, and then they. They right. spent loads of money and it all went horribly wrong. And so their, their, their contraction mm. and expansion over the last sort of 10 years of fate, of, of fate has, been, has been vast. So maybe this is yeah. it'll result Ooh. in some good karma. If anyone out there just does need to be reminded about how great Oberheims are, um, Dave Spears' demonstration he did for our Sonic Live thing was, a, oh. was brilliant, wasn't it? I mean, oh, yeah. That's <laughs> it, the eight voice. Yeah. That was... The, with the ape voice and just as soon as he started playing that in the room i mean i, I was it it was mind-blowing it was really mind-blowing so that video um put maybe a link in the show notes to it though but um yeah that's true Let that me, was uh... a really terrific demonstration by dave spears who always is great for the demo isn't he <laughs> he certainly is in fact uh he's yeah. uh, i think they've just he's been demoing some of the uh summit patches that they they did for the summit as well recently i Amazing. noticed that they've started posting those in fact i just got an email before the show started i think i'm going to be getting a summit in for demo so it'll be interesting mm. to see how it is but uh we'll check oh we seem to have action over here again hey. i wonder if these guys are, uh, are back in the room hello testing one two come in studio two yeah, thanks. Strings is back on. Ah, you are you at the end of the line there, or is it just uh, a low, uh, uh, just having trouble today with the uh, with the bandwidth? Yeah, frozen again. Oh, oh dear. Oh, bit of movement. Having trouble today. Yeah, I think uh, uh, that's not that's not working so good. Not working. We might have to. Uh, oh. Let's let's come back to you. We'll come back to you for a second because mm. I think there might be yeah. a router reboot required. <laughs> I um, also speaking about Dave Spears. I've been listening to his album. Dave's put out an album. Um, what's it called now? Uh, and never growing up, I think, or something. Never growing old. Um, 
and it's uh, it's like a kind of uh, autobiographical album where it sort of um, is all different eras of music that's inspired him, and he's gone in and tried to be really. Um, historically accurate with the different eras so there's like some tail end of the 1960s when he was a wee lad sort of psychedelic stuff and then yeah. moving through the 70s a little bit of prog and then there's uh and then it's more but like dave's that is all era, just really, jazz funk it, isn't it basically yeah, that's what we're going to dave's era the like the, eight, the 80s sort of jazz. but his songwriting and what's also great on that album though is if you want you've got to hear dave Dave sing. He really sings. He sings br some brilliant stuff on there. He's got a great voice, actually. Um, so that that's a bit of a revelation. Um, but well worth checking out. And there's some excellent, excellent synth playing on it, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, well, you'd hope so. Uh, let's have a look. <laughs> yeah. We might be able to come back to Studio 2. Ooh, Hello. Studio 2. Hello. Hello. Come in, please. Hello. Ah, Hello. yeah. So the Tom Oberheim thing, because uh, I did ask. Uh, yeah. we, we, we it's a nice story, and and kind of. I want. I, I wonder what um, what stuff what that will enable. Presumably, we might see some some synths, because I mean, there's, you know, there'll be point to putting your name to something if you can use it now. Whereas previously, it was a little bit. I don't know. Well, he was selling synths. He. I mean, I don't know what clip, but he was selling synths, and he will continue. I'm sure, as long as he wants to, to sell those synths. Um, I don't know that this is going to blast him into some overdrive product development mode, although I wouldn't be yeah. sad if it did. But um, as you point out, uh, Tom has been around longer than any of us, including me, and um, a very, very nice man when I met him at uh, NAMM with my son. Took a very nice picture, and I was so honored uh, to meet him because I think so highly of his gear. And uh, I think it's wonderful in, in the spirit of Gibson never needed it to begin with and, uh, and never really did anything with it. So it's, as you point out, like Yamaha with, uh, with Sequential, uh, it's a beautiful thing. I'm happy for these guys. These guys paved the way to all this stuff we're talking about. Well, yeah. well helped along with the other guys we all know, Alan Perlman and Bob Moog and Don Buchla and all of those people. And the, and the people who worked on those instruments with those guys at the time to develop them into something we all want to use. Yeah, yeah no, and, I totally uh, agree. Great, great respect and great history for these guys. And anytime something like that happens where they get back something that they had given up corporately some years ago. It was a point where uh, Robert Moog got the name Moog back, if I'm not mistaken, because it That's had right, actually yeah. come to belong to other people. So... It's always a heartwarming thing, and and you know we love these guys. They and they all happen to be really nice men too. At least every one of them I ever met. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm just curious, actually, Ken. Do you get much Oberheim stuff through your um, through your your shop? And if so, what sort of you know how is it to work on? Oh, bags of it. Um, generally, they're already good. Um, the the eight, four, and two voice. <laughs> Uh, systems can be a bit troublesome, but that was basically because of the way they were built. But the OBX and the A and the uh, A, yeah, fine to work on. Really good stuff. I have a question. Go on. Uh, OBX sounds different from the XA and the 8. Yeah. Why? Different filter. Different filter? Completely different filter. In the OBX, it's a um, component-based filter. Uh-huh. Uh, it's more, it's akin to the, the four and eight voice filter. Understood. Yeah, and you got 
then you go on to Curtis, and they add more Curtis as they went along, yeah, and, and the auto tuning got faster. Mm -hmm. um, but oh, no, I didn't. No, sorry, it got slower. You beg your pardon. Now you know I'm not romantic about very many keyboards, but the OBX actually. As, and and I'm also I love XA's and and uh, the OBA <laughs> as well, but, which is what kind of became of all of that. But the original OBX had a certain density and fatness and. I prefer the OBA. Okay. Uh, but only because I have to carry them. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the OBX is I don't know they I think they hide lead in there somewhere or something. They're really really heavy. Yeah. Well, interesting. The what was the old behind that Geddy Lee used a lot of in uh, in Rush? He, which show behind was that? Oh, well, he, he may have actually he might have actually used a lot of them actually. It might have been a Matrix Twelve, but I'm not sure. I'm honestly not um, sure. It may have come before Matrix Twelve, so uh, I'm not that. I've seen Rush, but I'm not a big. I'm not as oh, conversant in their history. There's a quite that. Um, uh, wait, a Scott from Canada says Jody had the OBX. After the eight yes. voice, there we go. Uh, after he's, I think I saw him play the eight voice on a, on an old video. I think around that is it exit stage left. He might be playing an eight voice on that. Um, but uh, I'm, yeah. But uh, but it's funny. Geddy Lee though is is really one of the people who kind of he sometimes is overlooked when it comes to being an influential person in the synth world. Uh, and I certainly is it in, is it old behind that Tom Sawyer or is it a prophet that makes the that that you know that classic bow, the beginning of Tom Sawyer. I have which got to be you're not talking a language I understand. I'm afraid so. <laughs> I have to leave you guys to work it out. So someone's yeah. going to know that answer. But yeah, I reckon yeah. for a lot of people, that was the first time they knowingly heard a synth. Really, I think. Yeah, no, you can right. the same one. That bit's a bit later, but yeah, the same. Yeah, right. Uh, but I'm saying it's cool. the same one that's This is a chat room. Chat, it's a chat room, Brad. Well, while while you're thinking yeah. about it, because I, I, I very nearly, I, I had a little bit of money uh, about two years ago, and I really nearly bought a Two Voice Pro, because uh, Simon Forsyth, who uh, is a sort of friend of Sonics, he's from the South Coast. Uh, has recently uh, joined a nomadic lifestyle and uh, got a really fancy van and is now uh, living the life around because he, he works a lot of TV engineering, so he's on on site lots of times. So he now lives in his transportation, uh, which sounds uh, sounds like quite a really nice in the summer. He brought a two voice pro, a two a two voice here for me to just listen to, and I'd never heard one before, and uh, it absolutely blew my mind. I have to say, I was really really. Um, it just sounded so amazing. The reason I'm looking around a lot is because I've just unplugged my headphones and I'm trying to find the lead to... Uh, so you have to talk amongst yourselves for a bit while I do that. Hold on. <laughs> well, when I got my job in the music store in 1977, the first Oberheim synthesizer I played with was the two-voice with that wonderful little tiny mm. sequencer in it. And it sounded phenomenal. I was blown away. I had never heard anything like it. And I still have such a tremendous affection for the SEM-derived Oberheim sound and uh, how with so few controls you can make so much out of that synthesizer and it's and it's magnificent yeah I'm I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm pitching two Paul filters now <laughs> I'm just I'm just gonna jump in with a quick update from the chat room I think uh, so I think the lead line that is a is a mini moog uh, but the rest is OBS. 
So, mm. Okay. Yes, thank you very much. That's Scott from Canada. But there's a lot of uh, presenting new. Pres Oops, wrong one. Let's see. Uh, <laughs> I'm back. I'm back in the room. I but every time I move because I haven't got quite enough length on the phone extension, which is really irritating. Because I'm trying the the headphones behind the head so that you don't get the blue light, uh, the blue side. Anyway, um, okay. Well, that's a great. Isn't that a lovely story though? And I think uh, we'll, I like a bit more of that. And hopefully we may see some more Oberheim product or some more Oberheim brand and stuff. And as regards. When they bought the brand, I wonder what the property, the intellectual property that they got, because I'm guessing it was around the time of Matrix 12, Matrix 1000, Matrix, that sort of era. And I think the only product that was released during that phase was uh, some sort of organ, wasn't it? It was like an Oberheim organ, which just seemed kind of a bit of a strange concept. Or was there something else? Does anyone remember what, uh, what products that what, there was like one, I think? Oh, what are we talking about now, Oberheim? Uh, they got hold of the Oberheim brand, didn't they? Viscount, the Italian brand, and they started ah. putting out things with Vic uh, with Oberheim on, and they would like right. make organs and various things. So I don't know, maybe the organ comes from that, and, that, and then I'm guessing that Gibson acquired that company or acquired ah, Oberheim maybe that that from. sounds more like it. Yeah, that's probably what happened. Okay, um, right. Uh, sorry, so you're I, talking I really about products. So the, you're talking about products after after the Tom Gibson lost the company. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. before we lost the company, there were products nobody's ever seen. There was a guitar amp. There was a phase amp. shifter. Yeah, I have actually product lit on my Facebook page from back in the day from Oberheim that shows these things. Uh, there was a digital sequencer. There was a, he had a whole bunch of products before he became known as the you know the massive synth guy. Oh, here we go. Yeah, look, presenting new oh, yeah. modulator. John Hammer used well, to use his ring modulator on stage in the Orchestra. Oberheim Echoplex Digital Pro. Oh, I don't, I don't oh that know. was later. That was a uh, post Tom product, the Echoplex. Yeah, okay. All right, okay. Well, interesting. So, what? those are later products that you're looking yeah, at they, now. Didn't they do something that was like an OB12 or something? It was a blue colored Matrix 12, I think. No, no, no. Oh, this is right. much, much later. And they, oh, they were right. The shops were literally using them for firewood. They couldn't get rid of them. <laughs> I can't remember what it was. Because I think it was Viscount built or something. Was okay. Some sort of unit. Okay. Uh, this. Well, if is you it look at the Oberheim list yeah. on my page, you'll see a bunch of stuff. It'll yeah. take you, it would take you a while to dig it out now, Nick. I don't know if you really want to do that. Yeah, I probably won't get a chance to do that at the moment. I, I'm having a, I'm, I'm having but, uh, a bad tech today myself at the moment. Right. Okay. Um, all right. Let's get on to. The, 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 there's another. There's another one that I wanted to talk about because this was just. I just thought it was kind of fascinating. Where did I? I had a. Uh, I actually did have a story on this, which I don't seem to have. Uh, let's just open the page on this one. This is. Yeah. Here we go. This is this is fascinating. So uh, basically, I, I don't know if you know. There's a there's a, a, a software uh, DX7 six op synth. Uh, which reads uh, original patches. It's called DexEd, and it was a sort of GitHub kind of repository thing. And it was, I remember, I think I downloaded it to use to see if I could edit the Reface DX to see if the parameters matched up and whatnot. Because not only does it uh, read the parameters, but it spits out the hex code that DX7s can use in terms of editors. So it's an editor stroke simulator at the same time. And there's a chap called... Um, uh, what's his name? He's called George Rosar, who's done a sort of iOS port for it, 
which I have here, has just announced it. And uh, as as the uh, it's three ninety nine, and he's digit he's added six hundred forty thousand DX patches from. Uh, I think it's twenty-two thousand cartridges, which I—I I mean, I didn't even know that you could find that many. But I, I mean, I remember myself collecting loads of patches, and I thought, wow! Now, if ever you wanted the history of FM, right there, you—that's three ninety-nine US dollars, and it wrote, it loads Jesus. on an iPad Pro or an iPhone six and up, I believe. It's crazy, and you can—it uh, takes eight. They said it takes ages to unpack. It's like you know, thirty minutes to kind of because there's so much mm -hmm. data on there. But he's ran all these kind of algorithms on it to to remove duplicates. But if you want six hundred and forty thousand six opposite yeah. fm patches gas then you can have them no <laughs> how uh, is it does it do auv3 do you know yes it does. Sort of... it does it does an auv3 ah. as well oh my god yeah god that's a that's a bit crazy isn't it i mean six hundred forty thousand. <laughs> wow I... how does that work then from the copyright though surely that's sort of that's a very know. good. I don't know. I guess it might mm. have actually expired by now. But I worked it out. Um, I worked it out. There's uh, what did I say? Yeah. If you listened for each one for ten seconds, it would take you yeah. seventy-four full days to listen to all the patches in that library. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rich, thinking about how about that for a holiday? <laughs> and how are they? How are they categorized in groups in the uh, ten thousands? Yeah, God um, knows. Wowza. I have to, of course, as with any software synthesizer, you'd have to hear it. But let's assume it sounds as good or better than FM7 and FM8, which to me sound fine. Let's assume it sounds as good or better. Do I really want 640,000 patches? Yeah. No, I wouldn't have because I, so. I suppose I could probably buy those freestanding for not more than 200 each. Or, or, you know, for one of them, and you only need one of them, or um, or less. It might even be like seventy nine. I don't even know what they sell it for as a freestanding product, but it's no four hundred bucks. Mm. No, this is so only three nine three three dollars ninety nine. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> Are you serious? No. Yeah, I am. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, I misunderstood. No. Pardon me. Forgive me. I, yeah, I here we go. It's right here. Uh, $3.99, the Dexed synth with uh, 640,000 patches. Wow. <laughs> I guess the thing with that is, I mean, because really, you'd want to tank... <laughs> you'd want to tank... I have to sort this 640,000 patches, but I have to sort through it on this thing? <laughs> Imagine. I don't know. Um, yeah. uh, it says no copyright you know, on patches. Because I used to refer to the DX7 as looking at a construction site through a tiny little hole in the fence. And now this actually brings that thing to life even more because now you have a real hole in the fence and you've got 640,000 patches to look at before you even look at six operators and how they're, and how they're interacting. Yeah, I just think it's a really fascinating idea. I mean, one, th one, th I mean, you know, good for him for doing yeah, it. Yeah, well, but it's great value. Yeah, and it's and I love, I do like FM, the sound of FM sense. I know this is yeah. almost blasphemous. I'm gonna get it straight. You're gonna buy it, guys. But it's yeah, car. Um, for $4. I mean, six hundred. The browsers gonna have to be good, though, aren't they? I mean, yeah, to sort of to navigate, to to make the most of that library, you really need to have a really good browser. So well, looking at this, it looks like it's yeah. a thirty-two drop-down. So you're doing what? it in banks. So hold on, how many banks of thirty-two is six in six hundred and forty thousand? <laughs> That's a lot. That's gonna be. 
So hold on, six hundred forty thousand. That's going to be three hundred twenty thousand. It's going to be uh, so divided by. Oh God, hold on. I'm going to do some maths. Quick, a quick bit of maths here. So that's six hundred forty thousand divided by thirty-two. Six hundred forty thousand divided by thirty-two. Twenty thousand banks. Right. So, so twenty thousand banks. You can't have a list of twenty thousand. I don't know how it's going to work. Listing them out, right? Your wife is going to die of a heart attack answering the door because you keep thinking it's the doorbell going. <laughs> yeah. And the bird tweet as well. Let's not forget that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think there's and the crickets. There's, I think there's an insect stuck in the control room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, but this this this, bring, this brings up another question, which is how many how many how many patches is too many patches? I mean, you know, you get these kind of questions, don't you? It's like, okay, yeah. some synths come with, like I don't know, the System Eight comes with only a few banks of sixty-four, but per machine. But it's it's not like tons and tons and tons. Uh, DeepMind Twelve comes with what a thousand patches thousand, or five hundred. Yeah. So how many? You know, how many is too much? Because after a while, you just think, I can't. It's, yeah. It less, seems like a, a diminishing. Yeah. Somewhere between zero and 640,000 lies the answer to that question. It depends on the cataloging as well, doesn't it? You can catalogue batches of sounds that you can go through them nice and quickly. But if you, yeah. you know, if the sounds are named just willy nilly that don't really reflect what the sound is. Willy nilly one, willy nilly two. <laughs> yeah, willy nilly three. Willy. Yeah, yeah. That should be a category. There should be a browser category called willy nilly, though. I think for 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 when you just can't decide which category it belongs in. There should be. We should make that a standard. Just chuck it in the willy nilly category. Well, I'll tell you what it is. Uh, this is actually. You can have willy and nilly. Well, this is the show title right here. <laughs> yeah, the, the, that willy nilly one, nilly, willy nilly two, willy nilly three. There we go. That's the show title. <laughs> so one willy, two nilly. So, um, I don't know, but I mean, it does raise an interesting question because, I mean, the DX7 was one of the reasons why we became so dependent on presets because uh, it was yeah, so difficult point. to bloody program and there was nothing to, to grab on the front panel. You know, there, there have been others. That, the D50, uh, possibly the two biggest drivers of the whole sort of patch market, the, pa the yeah. whole industry that surrounds it, and the way then that synthesizers... Yeah. the end, yeah. But they were more, more editable because then we got into kind of at least a sort of matrix and screens. There was a sort of system. Yeah, the systems true, of true. accessing all these parameters became, you know, uh, developed, the language of it became developed. Mm. And then as we've had more synths that, you know, it's like, it's like having an analog synth with a million patches on it feels a bit... But always, I tell you, every time I review a synth, if it's just an analog synth, whether it's a Pittsburgh or the Behringer Neutron or any, any of those things, people always go, oh, does it not have patch memories? I'm not interested. And you sort of think, hmm, wh mm. why not? Why, I mean, is it a psychological... What would be... Why would you not want... I mean, I suppose there are some reasons why you would you would definitely need patches. I mean, Rich, if you had to, if you had to, if you actually had to kind of construct all the patches between numbers for Sheik Live, it would be a very stressful gig for you, I presume. <laughs> That day's never coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I put in a lot of work. I put in a lot of time no that that day never comes. Um, but but then again, the range of textures that I might have to provide during an average chic show is probably smaller than those that you might need to provide in a more synth-derived environment. Yeah. 
Uh, there's only some emulative synth stuff that I have to do, but that's not really what you wanted to talk about. Anyway, yeah, this is an interface for six hundred and forty dollars. <laughs> yes, is, so in a, is a comedy routine. Sorry, Rick. It's a beautiful thing. It's a product. Yeah. Somebody who has absolutely I, nothing else to do. I was going to say, though, just for the no patch thing, in, in Astro Deluxe, the space rock band I play, and Helen, the keyboard player, she plays an uh, octave kitten, which I think, is it like half a half yeah. a cat, a kitten? Um, <laughs> yeah. We've yeah, got, got a little black kitten. It's called Nugget. Cat. Actually, the ca octave cat, was it a complete clone of the uh, Arp Odyssey, or is it quite a bit different? Because like, someone said it was like almost control for control the same. The they thought they were no, going after the mode. Oh yeah, I thought okay. so. And the bar the marketing guys talked more about Moog than ARP at the time. They uh, were in Long Island that... City, which wasn't far from where I was in retail when these things were released. So I actually met some uh, people. With the other well, that, that the front lens to the Odyssey. Yeah, it's, it's laid out more like the well, sort of, but it doesn't have the no. Yeah, but electronically, it's nothing like the Odyssey or the Moog. So, so the kitten then. I mean, what was the what was the cut down version of the Odyssey? That was was it the ki the kick? No, what was? I can't remember. Uh, what it was axe. Now. There was a axe. The, the axe. Yeah. And then I, I'm assuming then that the kitten was so, so like was... to market wise was to pitch it at the same sort of space as the because oh, the reason why I'm saying this is though is that the she reprograms the kitten on the fly during our gigs and she um and she's very very quick at it but we what we do have to build into our into our arrangements uh that time for her to to manually repatch it or um so it, I <laughs> Yeah. That's another great show title there. That's a good show title there, that reprogram the kitten on the fly. Actually, we just got a kitten. Um, I, pub oh. I published a little photo of it um, the other day, and uh, everybody on Facebook was going, I bet you only bought it so you would, uh, you only got a kitten so that you could do more synth memes. And I was thinking, yeah, there's so much truth to that. If I just brought this the kitten to work and put it on some synths, while I was reviewing, yeah. our viewing just, figures would go through the roof, and I yeah. wouldn't have to do anything. I'd just have a kitten walking around <laughs> on a load of synths. And but it's, an idiot, while idea. it's very tempting, it feels a very exploitative and also very lazy. And I, I wonder, what, exploiting the, the kitten? Yeah. No, they exploit us for, for all we're worth. You think they do? Yeah. You well, put some milk at the end of that arbax and let her rip. <laughs> he's only twelve. <laughs> he's only twelve weeks old, so it's probably not fair. <laughs> And also, he's not allowed out yet, so that's not going to work. Oh, um, and I do, I do believe you've posted your first fishing video as well, Nick. I did, yes, my first fishing video. <laughs> I, I'm not at all prepared for this because I, I, right. I played it before the show, and I thought, uh, uh, you know, just sort of because nobody's watched it, so I think the only way I could do it is to expose myself on a much wider to a much wider audience, which is the one I've got on Sonic. And then I forgot what the URL is for the channel that I've started, so it's it backfired terribly. But yes, I have. Oh, that's my first yeah. one, my first yeah, my cool. first fishing video. I'm going to do another one as soon as the wind drops again because I've got to go out there. But uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. It's it's a bit of fun. <laughs> Actually, it's a way, what I'm figuring out. It's a way for me to t deduct for make my, make my hobby tax deductible, which is <laughs> which is the plan. <laughs> so I can, all I have to do yeah, is earn a tiny bit of revenue from YouTube on it, and then I can yeah. I can put all the expenses against it. That's the idea. <laughs> Crafty. Um, God, it's five o'clock. Is it that time already? Mm. 
Um, I don't know if we're going to get through all uh, the rest. Of the Have we got any more topics? I can't even remember. It feels like we're struggling a little bit with uh, delay and, uh, and, and breaking internet. So maybe tonight, this time is a good time to say goodbye, unless you've got anything very specific you want to talk about, Gaz. Is there anything that you wanted to bring up before we, uh, we say our goodbyes? Just trying to think. Uh, I've been doing lots and lots of music tech over the last few weeks. Um, just trying to think what's kind of relevant or interesting. Uh, looking around. Looking around. Um, been, I think I might have mentioned to you, I've been having some glorious times with the Polyend Dreadbox Medusa now with the version 2 software. Um, that's just become... Oh, we were talking about we're going to do some sort of drone stuff, aren't we? Yeah. Um, so that that's a... If you're into your drones then you've got to check out the, the way the Medusa version 2 works because you can have all these different tuned drones uh, so you can actually play it like a drone machine but also play it almost like a kind of an actual synthesizer drone uh, actual oh. yeah yeah which it's a little bit peculiar I, I should probably make a video about that but um it, and also yeah uh for me a big thing that I've been doing though is preparing for a an absolute you know, a load of new video content. So for my new cameras and my new bits and bobs. Uh, so, yes. So I shall just plug that again because there's going to be a lot more coming from me very soon. Hooray! Good to hear. Hooray. And uh, everybody <laughs> will be very keen to see that, I'm sure, Gaz. Well, thank you very much for that. I so. uh, Matt, you guys. Uh, get, uh, Rich, have you got? You haven't got a gig tonight, presumably? Is your next gig tomorrow or you're gigging tonight? My next gig is on Saturday Ooh. at the Royal Festival Hall on the South Bank. Wow. Something called Meltdown Festival. And on Sunday, oh, wow, yeah. I'm going home for a few weeks. Whoa. Oh. How about that? That hasn't yeah. happened in a long time. Um, and I'm quite looking forward to it, actually, as much as I love mm. what we do and uh, love the people who come to see us do it. I could certainly use a couple of weeks at home. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. that would be great. Nice. Well, and, and that sounds good. And Kent, no doubt you've got people phoning you up all the time saying, where's my synth? Yeah. In fact, be, that, so I'm sure there was someone in the comment comments saying, hold on a minute, shouldn't you be fixing... No, they weren't doing that. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, there is, um, I'm actually working on one of Dave Spears' cables at the moment, which is a Profit Fiber 2, that has exploded. Oh, ouch. Is that a power Bang. supply thing? No, no. He's, some, something's gone on the digital board and he's taken half of his voice board out with it. Oh, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. So have you got, no. like, boxes and boxes of bits for these particular synths and sort of pet spare parts that you could just, you know, I guess that must yeah. be an ever-decreasing amount of stock? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'll be honest with you, Behringer has really helped out bringing all these clones out and... Um, you know, getting lots of reissues of certain ICs and stuff like that has really helped things along. Ah, so you Quite can get lot. hold of those components, right? Well, I mean, because at one Some... time of day, if you, you wanted a, a Curtis 3340 IC, VCO, um, you 100 quid plus shipping and all the rest of it. Now I can get them here the following day for four quid, which is something that would never have happened at one time of day. If somebody said I was going to be buying, you know, Curtis at four quid and getting it to the door next day, I wouldn't believe them. Right. Well, there you go. Now it's wow. reality. That's a, that, 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 well, there, there is some good news there. That's great. Uh, All Nick, right, folks. Can I just 
Oh yeah, sorry. Nick, 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 can I just just uh, I'm playing a free gig on Friday. I just want to just promote it because it's actually it's a really interesting one because it's part of the the Homeless World Cup, which is a really great event actually. Big, it's a big footballing event. is taking place in Cardiff this year. I think there's over 50 countries taking place, but there's some entertainment going on as well. It's all free. It's um so the event itself's worth checking out. But I'm playing with the Charlotte Church Pop Dungeon Friday evening about seven o'clock or something in Cardiff Butte Park. So if you're local or not even local come down it's worth coming for the event regardless of the music uh but i just wanted to plug it because it's free and uh and cool as well so. excellent that sounds like a, a, a worthy you should uh, come Nick. you should come you should friday are you not looking looking thinking of excuses no no i'm just thinking it's possible it's possible it's might be possible i've got a kit yeah i've got a kit to look up yeah no, i might be to <laughs> Gentlemen, uh, thank you very much for your time and uh, efforts. Uh, we will see you all soon. Uh, and don't forget, if you want to enter the Isotope competition, we're looking for the hashtag. What did I say it was? Set up the mix and the hashtag. Uh, oh, I, well, I put it there. Neutron3 to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. Anyway, that's it for this week. Thank you very much, everybody. We'll see you all next time. Take care. Bye-bye now.